that's what I enjoyed about the clinic. We did lunches together. Our doors were open. We communicated. If I had a question, I was always free to answer, ask any of them. And if one didn't know the question, someone else would they'd say, well, let's check with so-and-so and see what they, if they know. In this episode of Praxis, I sit down with Rick, a fellow graduate student, to talk about his practicum at the Robert J. Dole VA Medical Center. Rick talks about working with veterans groups in the VA Substance Use Disorder Clinic and the power that is generated when people come together and share their stories. Uh, my name is Rick Rangel. I'm a soon-to-be graduate of the Master of Social Work program at WSU. I did my practicum at the Substance Use Disorder Clinic at the Robert J. Dole VA Center. The focus was groups primarily. I led three groups per week, did a little bit of individual counseling, and then case management and the notes for the groups. And so uh, that was the focus with substance use this year. And what drew you to social work? Uh, it's an interesting story. And so my focus originally when I was getting towards the end of my career in the military was business. I wanted to kind of be like a loan officer or a mortgage or something like that. And my last two and a half years in the military, I got lucky to be picked up for a warrior transition unit as staff, as cadre. And so I was thrown into something that I wasn't used to. It was a different part of the military that I had not seen. And so with that, I actually worked side by side with nurses and social workers. And so I got to see what they did. And it was a big shock of what the mental health provided. I was a believer that mental health wasn't that big of a deal that people that had problems were weak and couldn't stand up for themselves or you know they lacked that drive or that movement and not until I worked and saw what they did and how they helped some of my good friends transition with PTSD to cope with their life and saw it made me realize and open my eyes to what the mental health profession did and because of that that's what made me switch my focus to social work and so my last year in the military I was actually looking at social work colleges I looked at uh, the one in Anchorage Alaska that was my last duty station we have my I'm from Wichita before I joined the military and so Wichita was my home base and this is where I had a lot of family for support you know with kids in school and stuff like that and so we moved back to Wichita and I enrolled at WSU in the bachelor of social work program and so that's what led me to social work is seeing what the work they did and how important it was. One of my friends that uh, was in the WTU at the time, uh, greatest guy, he'd do anything for you, whatever you needed. And uh, he was one of those guys that was big and strong and you know, if you needed someone to run through a door, that was your guy. You know? So to see him there that was in trouble mentally and then to see how he went on his journey to his low points and then towards the end, how the social workers were able to give him coping skills. So he did a lot with uh, an organization called Healing Waters, Time Flies. And so why it's not traditional therapy in a classroom that you would expect or group therapy, that working with other veterans, uh, Time Flies, the repetitive motion, gave his brain a chance to relax and it became a coping skill. Uh, he chose once he got out of the military to go ahead and 
do that as a living and be a fly guide and teach people how to tie their own flies and how to go fly fishing. And so he used a lot of his recovery therapy to help others and be able to stand on his own. And so that made a big difference for me. And that's kind of why I chose it and why I see the validity. You know, I wish more people understood what mental health is. And the, the stigma is slowly getting chipped away and people are understanding the importance of what social work is. And I think as we get out there and we share our stories and we share our experiences, it puts a light on what mental health work is done out there and how social workers are a valuable asset to clinics. How do you see yourself in the future advancing um, advocacy for mental health and removing the stigma that's around it? I just got a job offer Wednesday morning at the VA, and so uh, I'm going to be a peer support specialist to start off. And it's a unique position because I'll be able to do groups, but my groups will be a little bit different than, say, traditional SUDC groups where you know we have our didactics and our moving through the uh, steps or progression. I'll be able to have a little bit more flexibility, kind of like the Healing Waters program of tying flies. I would get a chance to hopefully incorporate equine therapy, uh, some canine therapy, and then mindfulness meditation. And so during the mindfulness meditation, I was able to lead a total of three complete nine-week sessions already this past year at the Sudsy Clinic. And just having that approach and being there for veterans to ask questions and saying, hey, well, I'm interested in this, but I don't know. And being that voice to say, hey, well, what hurts to try? And showing them how it's affected my own self and mindfulness meditation. Why, when I first started it, I didn't understand a lot about it. I really thought it was, you know, to call it hippie science is what I thought it was. And while it's still a holistic approach, it is one of the best approaches that I found that works. Uh, I use mindfulness breathing before I go into a test. Before I start doing something, I'll take a few deep breaths, relax, breathe. And then when I go in there, my head and mine are a little bit clearer. And so I usually end up doing a little bit better on my test and than I anticipated because of the clear mind. What do you say to the veterans that you're working with now if they have concerns about mental health being as serious as we know it to be? Well, it's interesting because we want to believe that, you know, for the warriors we are, that we're strong enough and that we don't need help. So I talk about how we all have a point where we can't carry on on ourselves and we do need help from others. And that as we talk and share our stories, we're able to understand more about one another and about our own problems. One of the interesting things is, as I went on my journey of discovering holistic and my own mental health with PTSD is that I looked at what previous generations had done. And we don't talk about the World War II generation with uh, shell, shell shock. That was what they called PTSD at that time. Uh, we don't talk about, there wasn't a lot that came back or there wasn't this many, you know, a few of them took up to riding motorcycles or created Jeep pubs or different kind of things for that brotherhood and the connection. But we don't talk about the mental health piece. But what we failed to realize is that when they rode back together on a boat for anywhere from four weeks to six weeks, that time was bonding. They talked story, they shared with one another their stressors. So they were able to relieve some of the 
anxiety or whatever symptoms they had by talking. But then they came home and closed back up and they didn't share again. And then later on in life, it redeveloped as they retired and they slowed down. And it's what we fail to realize is when we talk and communicate, it helps. If you look at some of the older cultures, the Native American warriors, Zulu warriors, the Vikings, they all have something very in common after they uh, completed battle. They would come back around a fire and talk. Some of them drank, some of them danced and did things, but they all did the same thing. They shared their stories. For the Native Americans, they, how they counted coup or how, whatever it was that they did, how they stole a horse. But it's just that sharing of their stories got out there. They were able to release it. They didn't hold it in. And so that's what I tell other veterans is, you know, by sharing your story, by sharing what's you, you're able to let go of a little, a little bit. The hard part is for those that are non-veterans, they want like spouses or friends, they're like, well, just tell me what it is, what happened? They don't realize that some of those are our secrets to bear, that it's hard to share faith. Uh, for example, I won't tell my wife a lot of stuff. I'll tell her the good stories of Iraq and Afghanistan, but I won't tell her the bad. I, I do that because I think I'm protecting her but I'm protecting myself a little bit. I'll share with other veterans that understand. And so having the connection with people that you know versus having a connection with those that have been in the same problems makes a difference. And so that's what the groups at the VA create is other veterans that understand what you've been through. Have you found any research or literature that kind of takes all those stories of camaraderie that you're just talking about and puts them together and then kind of connects it to social work because that sounds like it would be a phenomenal paper or book and it would also be a useful tool to help people who don't see the value in group communication. Yeah, there, there's a lot of research. Um, a lot of it's coming out new, especially with the holistic and mindfulness approach. That's how I approach it. Um, is It is something different. It's not a traditional People seeing a psychiatrist laying on the couch, you know, they're like, oh, okay, I want to go in and talk to a, a mental health provider and just spill my guts. You know, what it's coming out to be is it's a connection, that bond. And so the research is coming out, but it's a little bit slower because it is a little bit, it's a new approach of a holistic take on it. And have you seen anyone connect it back to like the native warriors that you're talking about or the different? Um, soldiers who are in historical wars? Um, I, I found a few, but it's it's hard research. And so um, I can't think of the name of the paper that I use a lot, but there's a few that I, I use in a lot of my papers that I wrote for the past two years yeah. that have that information. Hearing you talk about the different groups throughout history that have dealt with kind of similar issues, but in different contexts, that just sounds like it would be really fascinating to have all of that together yeah. that then connects it to what's going on today with what we know from science and social work and research. So I think, not to give you a project, <laughs> if, you, if you write that in the well, future, I think that has a lot of value. That's part of the research I am doing for Colloquium. But yeah, there, there's a, there's limited, but yeah. it's it, it takes someone with passion and desire to want to know more to do the research. So you talked a little bit earlier about what you have been doing at Practicum, but could you just explain in a little bit more detail maybe some of the theories or therapies that you're using 
and um, how often you're at practicum and the experiences that you get to have? A lot of it is evidence-based practice as far as recovery. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a big one. One of the big modalities for addiction recovery has been living in balance, their workbook that they utilize. And so it kind of breaks it down into 27 sessions. And as a student, I had the flexibility to pick and choose a little bit. I did a check-in group, which was more of just checking in how you're doing this week, how you're doing in sobriety, how you're doing in recovery. And the veterans kind of drive that group. We ended up spending a lot of time talking about sports and fishing and how do we do the things we enjoy without drinking or how do we do activities with family when family members are drinking. And so it was keeping it light. That one was a very light group, but that's what the veterans wanted. That's what they like, hey, this is our direction. And so I kept it on that one. I did have like didactics and modules to cover if we got to a stalled point, but for the most part, a lot of them just wanted to talk and blow off steam or their frustration with either work or spouse or however it was and get help from the other ones. Uh, the early recovery group that I was leading, that one had a little bit more focus like the Living in Balance book and different modalities. Uh, and so as we would talk and discuss things, it would be like, well, how do you develop coping skills how are you in the moment and how do you proceed and just learning the basics of recovery you know what happens when you are handed a beer can you put that beer down or when someone is passing around a joint or a, a pipe of some sort can you say no how do you say no what do you think about you know to say no and then making new friends that won't tempt you when I first started there, the literature that from school under my bachelor's is like, well, you just get out of that situation and you won't be tempted. And so I went into the clinic thinking that. And in my first couple of weeks, one of the veterans said, he said, that's not reality. He said, that's what they say all the time. He said, the truth is, is my house is in that neighborhood. I've grown up in that area. These are my friends. It's like, I just can't turn my back and walk away from them. Other ones is like, you know, these are where I work at. These are the people I know. It's learning how to do it where you're at. And so that was a big eye-opener is I always thought, oh, okay, just get out of there and you won't use again. They're like, well, you just leave one area to go to another area if people are still using. So it's giving them the tools that they need for sobriety where they're at and meeting them where they need to be. And then I was fortunate enough with my mindfulness medication cert uh, certifications that I had that the clinic was let me lead a group for an hour and a half and so I did that for three whole sessions three nine-week sessions and they were very understanding um, my field instructor was able to go through the first one and see what mindfulness was to understand it and how to incorporate into addictions and so it's been a blessing to be there and have a supportive staff that was willing to see how things went and having the evidence behind it, you know. We had one provider from a different clinic that he didn't understand that mindfulness meditation was an evidence-based practice. And he was a psychiatrist and he's like, well, there's not a lot of research. Well, the research is since the 1960s, 70s that they've been able to do it with cancer patients. And the research has shown how they're able to heal quicker with chemo.
versus those that did chemo without no mindfulness meditation. So it's just showing and educating, and that's what made a difference in that clinic. And that's kind of reason why I'm excited to go back in to the VA as a peer support is to be able to learn and be, have a little bit of flexibility and not only educate veterans, but educate other providers that haven't had the chance to try mindfulness meditation. For that um, group that you, that your field instructor allowed you to um, put on that wasn't originally part of the VA, are they going to adopt that or use it further? Well, my field instructor did a, a biofeedback and they use uh, the heart map. And so she leads that class. One of the peer supports that used to be there led a yoga class and a Tai Chi class. Well, now that she's gone, they only have the biofeedback. And so they do recognize that piece and are trying to figure out how to incorporate it back into the clinic and continue on and get someone else certified so they have it. And the nice thing is, as a peer support, when I start and then I do my mindfulness groups, I'll be able to take people from the substance clinic and the PTSD clinic. And so I'll have people from different parts that will have the chance to participate. I'll admit my ignorance here, not knowing about the VA and not having operated in that system, that my perception would have been that it would be kind of really bureaucratic with, you know, you have to follow these programs and do this, but it sounds like there's some opportunities for people to bring what they are interested mm -hmm. into the program. It, it is. Um, each one of the clinical social workers that were in the substance use disorder clinic had their own specialty. Um, one was dialectical behavior therapy, one was CBT, uh, dual diagnosis, PTSD. So what they do is what are their strengths and how do they fit it into a group and how do they make the group better? The current supervisor there has made a lot of changes. Before I started, I looked at some of their old curriculum. And so a way it used to be like that, that they had check-in groups, early recovery groups, and sustained recovery groups. And they just kind of repeated that cycle over and over and over again. Well, what they realized is there's so much more in addictions and how to treat it. And so when the new supervisor came on, can't remember, it's been five or six years ago that she took over. She looked at the strengths of the uh, clinicians and how do they work to make the clinic better? And that's what they did. And so instead of having just three groups that they repeat over, there's a variety, there's spirituality group, there is spirituality, PTSD, dual diagnosis, um, dialectical therapy, there's, of course, early recovery, but they've added mid-recovery, sustained recovery, the biofeedback group. They've incorporated a hobbies group for veterans that want to talk and socialize but do something. And so they realize that there's more into the clinic, and by doing that, they've increased their participation. How did it feel as a student to be allowed to bring your strengths into the group and try something that they weren't used to? I felt good because they were willing to see what I had to offer and bring. And I was fortunate enough to speak with some of these people before I got hired and share my story of why I was coming. And being a veteran, that did give me the opportunity for, versus maybe a student who didn't wasn't a veteran to come into the VA. So they kind of took what I did in my history and how it and believed in it and said, you know what, let's give it a try. And so that's great, you know. I listened to some of the classmates who 
talked about how they frust were frustrated and they kind of felt belittled. I never felt that, you know, I felt part of the team. Even as a student, you know, I wasn't treated differently. I was treated like one of the team members and that's what I enjoyed about the clinic. We did lunches together, our doors were open, we communicated. If I had a question, I was always free to answer, ask any of them. And if one didn't know the question, someone else would, they'd say, well, let's check with so-and-so and see what they, if they know. And so I was, I was very blessed to be in the clinic I was in, to be part of a team. I fully believe that you're doing some really great work over there and that I also believe that social workers don't brag about themselves enough and we need to because we do awesome things. So without being humble, can you talk about some of your wins or successes that you just really feel proud of achieving? Graduating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I kind of went in at, at summertime a little cocky, like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. In the fall semester, it was really kind of relaxed and had listened to the people last year that graduated that talked about, oh, how easy the program was. Very misleading. You know, I give them a hard time saying, you guys lied to me. But it's just the way it changed and the flow. And so that's a big accomplishment is completing graduate school. Definitely. You know, it's, a lot of people will graduate college, but less will go on to graduate school. And so being able to stick the feather in my hat as a master social worker is a big accomplishment for me. Definitely. Um, as far as what I've done at the clinic that I'm encouraged about is being hired on already. You know, usually a student gets offered a position towards the end of May or during May or June. And then they'll start usually late July, middle August or September. You know, I say I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and stuff. And being hired as a student was a big accomplishment. The uh, student from last year that got hired on in late August when she started working, I had talked to her yesterday and she was like, when I was looking at other students that had started and stuff, she said, you're one of the quickest hires that she's ever heard of. And so that was a big accomplishment. That was like, you know, wow. So I saw how my work ethic and what I was able to do there to get hired on so quickly. You know, so that's, that's one of the things like, I know that I'm done with school soon and I already have a job. And so that, that was nice to have that stress off. That feels really good. Yeah. And congratulations, because I know that you had said in class that you were feeling like you were gonna get a position, but to hear that you got the position yeah. is awesome. Yeah, so that was a, that was a great phone call. <laughs> Thank you, Zane. How have you been challenged at your practicum? I would say challenged, I was more challenged with internal struggles. And I say that because I would do an intake with a client, with a veteran, and think, oh my gosh, they're going to come in and they're going to do great. And then when they didn't, it's like, what did I do wrong? But I knew it wasn't on me that each person has to own their own recovery. And it's like, well, did we give them enough? But I know that we gave our best. And understanding that you can't help everybody, that they have to meet you halfway. You give everything you got, and you got to hope that they give everything they got. That was one of the biggest challenges, recognizing that not everybody's gonna make recovery. We're fortunate in our Sutsi clinic to have such a high recovery, sustained recovery rate and stuff compared to a lot of inpatient clinics. The national average uh, that the VA has is veterans 
when they do inpatient only have a seven to nine percent success rate of sustained recovery. Those that do inpatient with combined outpatient at the set C clinic, any of them, doesn't matter how, but if they're able to do some kind of group therapy, they have anywhere from a 43 to 47% sustained recovery rate. So that's a big jump for recovery people. And so it's like, that was one of the challenges to understand that not everybody's gonna be able to be a recovering addict and stuff. And that was also part of my wins is to see people that went from continuous visits to the ER to having anywhere from 30 to 90 days sobriety. And so that made, that made a big difference for me. Do you feel like you've gotten better at meeting people where they're at and coping with knowing that they might not have the best outcome that you expected from them? Yes, because I had to realize, give of myself and whatever happens, happens. And so instead of focusing on the outcome, I just focused on giving and making sure that I shared the information. And as long as I knew I was giving everything I had, that I knew I did the best I could. And so that made a big difference. When you are feeling best about your work, what do you value about the work itself? The connection with others. And so having that connection makes a big difference and being able to be part of the team. And not only with the clinicians, but with the veterans that are there themselves. Being able to sit down and talk with them and, you know, not having to, oh my gosh, we got to worry about covering this, 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 but it's listening to them and being able to meet them. And so that's one of the things I liked was the connections of, that we made, the bonds. What are the most important factors in your practicum setting that help to make your time a meaningful experience? Knowledgeable coworkers and staff that were there, you know, the people knew their job and it wasn't something that was like, oh my gosh, I have to go in here. It was, okay, I get to go in, let's see what we're gonna do today. And interesting, when someone would take a vacation there, you kind of felt it in the clinic, not as far as the stress of, oh my gosh, we gotta cover her. It's like one of the family members was gone. So we had a family connection, and so that's what I really liked. And so it made a big difference coming into work all the time. Like, you wanted to be there. You wanted to hang out. You wanted to enjoy lunch and see what they did or how things are going for them. And so it was a good work family. Yeah, I love to hear that. I wish that could be just the experience for every social worker because <laughs> that makes our work so much more impactful. Right, and, and those that are around you. Yeah. So thinking about your experience in practicum, what suggestions might you have for new students who are new to social work and also new to their practicum placement? Don't come in thinking that you're there to fix their problems. Think about why you chose social work. Not that it's for yourself, but are you there to, if you're there to heal yourself, maybe you're not ready yet and stuff, but how can you walk beside someone in, re in recovery or whatever their path is, whatever your, your social work drive or goal is. You're not there to guide them, you're there to assist and to walk beside them. And so that's what I would say is, as you move forward in your practice and your uh, training, be willing to be beside those that you're helping and not leading or pushing, but just be there with them. And how about for the field instructors? What suggestions do you have for them to ensure that they're fostering growth in the students that they are placed with? I got lucky with my field instructor. She let me go at my pace and she met me where I needed to be. And she's like, you know, 
I didn't do a traditional one hour on a Thursday or on a, a certain day. We met for 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, five minutes here. And throughout the week, you know, I had questions I asked and she was always willing to open her door and answer questions, you know, or discuss problems. Uh, the other student, what worked for her was they met every Thursday morning from 8.30 to 9.30 for one solid hour. And that was what she needed. And that was great for her. So I think making sure that the student and the field instructor are aligned on what works for each other, having a good team dynamic. You know, I listened to some classmates who were like, well, I could never even see my field instructor. I never got a chance to talk to them. I had to hunt them down or I had to email them. You know, mine was four doors down and I'd walk down and say, hey, do you have a minute? And she's like, yep. And so I'd end up spending a five minute conversation would be 20 minutes, you know, and something that was supposed to take 15 minutes would end up being discovered in three to four minutes or even by an instant messenger asking like, hey, I have a question. How do I do this? Oh, yeah. Remember how you did that? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so just being flexible and working and making sure you're a good fit when you do your interviews and asking those questions of the students and the students asking those questions. How do they proceed? Don't be scared to ask. Ask those questions. Because if you don't ask questions, you're not going to know until it's too late. So I'm hearing that it's knowing your students and then also making the time what we expect social workers to do for their clients, right? It's yeah. to treat them like individuals with dignity and to make the time available that, that they need. Right, and communication. Communication yeah. seems to be a running theme with this conversation. I like that. <laughs> what do you hope that you're doing as a social worker five years from now? Um, five years from now. Maybe as a coordinator or as having my clinical license in five years. I'd say starting with my clinical license, already having my addiction counselor certifications. And so that transition from clinicals into maybe a coordinator position. If I don't really want to stop into a supervisor role in five years, I think that within five years I'll be ready for a coordinator position. And then maybe another eight to ten years as a supervisor. Within the VA? Yes, within the VA. I, I don't see myself truly leaving the VA. I think that's where my passion lies. And, you know, everybody has their own passion. I think finding the clinics, because there are so many clinics, just because I was in the substance use, there's mental health, there's PTSD, there's uh, homeless community work therapy that helps veterans get jobs, the, the, the suicide team, emergency medicine intakes uh, there's so many different positions the VA is one of the largest employers of social workers and so I think I have the flexibility as I continue to grow and learn to move within the VA and find what I enjoy my original goal was to start off in the OEF OIF clinic operation uh, Iraqi freedom operation enduring freedom operation new dawn OEF OIF OND but they were like well you already have a lot of that knowledge let's see how we can make your better, well-rounded social worker. And that was substance use. And since I didn't have a lot of practice in the clinic or that setting, that was a good fit. And I learned a lot and it actually opened my eyes to, hey, this is a good way to move. And I really like their focus on groups. And so groups made a big difference versus working in one of the smaller clinics that doesn't do a lot of groups where they're more individual one-on-one. -on -one. So I think having that 
chance to learn and grow. Were you excited about group work before you knew that you're going to have this position or were you mainly focused on individual contact? No, I like, kind of like the group for my uh, bachelor's practicum. I was in an equine facility and so I was able to go horse riding on Wednesdays with a veterans group and so that made a big difference. You know, other days it was fundraising or doing individuals with uh, children with special needs. So I got to see a lot of different aspects and the group work is something that I enjoy doing and so I know some people are not fans of group and they kind of nervous. Groups I enjoy as long as I know what I'm talking about and I understand the evidence behind it and trained, it makes it easy. So five years from now, you're hoping to have your clinical license and be moving up toward a coordinator. What was the other role that you mentioned? Uh, the coordinator Co position. Yeah, I'm not ready for a supervisor. The okay. supervisor, so you got your staff and then you have usually like a coordinator that's in between. Like, a, oh gosh. So you have kind of like if you were to think of a store, you have your store manager that's in charge of the whole store. And then you have like a shift manager or assistant manager. That's what the coordinator is, is the assistant. Okay. Or they have like a specialty role to that clinic of what they do and stuff. So I, I would be ready to be in that position. All right. So getting on that track to, to get there in five years, how do you think that your practicum has prepared you to be successful? By being open to listening to others. You know, to work as a team, to understand that what happens, happens not to force things and that if it's meant to be it will be and stuff and that's how I kind of had to take this position as a, the peer support is that at first I was kind of worried that I would get the position but then I really thought about it I was like I know this clinic will hire the best person and if it's not me then that means there was someone that was better for it you know trust in those that are above you to have the best interest of the clinic and so that's how I've I look forward in the next five years is trust those that are above me to make me the best person for the place. Those are the questions that I have for you. Are there any closing thoughts or remarks that you'd want to share with students who might be listening? Enjoy your time because it'll be over before you realize it. Make sure you have a good group of friends to help you because at 11 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock when you're working on an assignment, if you can text somebody to ask questions, it's always very beneficial. And without those friends, when you're struggling, there's no one to pull you up. And so have a good group of friends to help you, whoever they may be. You know, when you start the program, make a good connection and go together through the journey. All right. Thank you very much. Thank really you. I appreciate this. Thank you for listening. And I hope you found something to take away from this interview. Whether it's inspiration to bring people together to share stories or an increased excitement for your time and practicum. If you have questions or feedback about this show, or maybe you want to talk about social work or anything, I invite you to start a conversation with me. You can send an email to podcastpraxis at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at PraxisPod. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you'll join me again here on Praxis. Until next time, goodbye.